Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Well, good evening, guys. So glad you guys are here tonight. Um, we're going to open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, or we'll continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Citizens of the Kingdom. And uh, tonight we're looking at chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, and we're going to talk about investing wisely uh, into the future, treasures in heaven. Let's read together. It's Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, the Bible talks a lot about money and possessions uh, and wealth. And uh, sometimes I think as Christians, we kind of get into the notion that we have a secular life and then we have a spiritual life or we have, you know, a, a life that is, you know, or like maybe the material parts about our life, work and money and wealth and possessions and stuff it is very different or separate from our spiritual life. So we have a sacred and secular kind of like, you know, split. And in reality, it's all actually to combined together. It is the life that we live and every aspect of our life is, is to be in honor to God. Uh, the Bible does talk a lot about money because money and wealth and possessions all impact our lives. The way you and I think about money, the way we uh, use money, um, we see that it, it does impact our life and certainly it impacts our spiritual life. Uh, in fact, there's lots and lots of warnings, even Jesus giving us a warning here to not lay up our treasures on earth uh, and, and, and not uh, lay them up in heaven. Uh, we find in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, But many people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows." Uh, Jesus in the parable uh, about the seeds that were scattered on one of the soils, the soils that had thorns, Jesus said this, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Uh, the warnings are throughout scripture that it can actually ruin our lives, not wealth, or money, or possessions in and of themselves. There are many wealthy people who actually have very fruitful lives, love Jesus, and have treasures being stored in heaven. And there certainly are many poor people in this world who treasure the things of this earth. Money, though, does this lure of it and this, uh, this idea of laying it up here, it does create a lot of drama in our life. 
It actually pulls us away if we have that, what Paul described, the love of money within us. It pulls us away from all that God has for us. 90% of divorces, actually, they said, 90% of them said money was a key point of argument that actually brought about their separation. The Bible, again, says a lot about it. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money. There's more said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. Think about that. Five times more said about money than prayer. And where there are about 500 plus verses on prayer and faith, there are over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. How we view it, how we spend it, and how we give it. It is all connected to whether we are moving in a direction of spiritual maturity or actually going backwards and staying in sort of an infant stage of our Christianity. Just like our calendar, if you and I look at our calendar of all the activities that you and I spend our time you know, doing, uh, our calendar would show up saying that I spend time you know, you spend time reading God's word. You show up at church. You have time for serving and fellowship. Uh, that would say a lot about your pursuit of Jesus. But according to our Lord, so does our bank statements. What we value, what we love, what we treasure in this, in this life. Now, Jesus' desire is that we would seek heavenly treasures and be free of treasuring the treasures of this earth. Uh, he's not, this parable is not condemning wealth by any means. It's not condemning those who have wealth, nor is it rewarding those who choose a life of poverty. You know, back throughout centuries long, there's been those Christians, uh, you know, that have been a part of church that have taken a, a vow of poverty as if that in and of itself was some sort of spiritual merit and going to gain favor in God's eyes. No, Jesus is talking about the danger of living for temporary things. The things that are going to fade, the things that will rust, the things that will rot, the things that you and I ultimately will leave behind. And if we are just living for those things, well, Jesus says we're, our lives and our hearts are not in a great spot. Now, the Pharisees have been kind of a focus throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That they, It's sort of a contrast. This is the life of a Pharisee. They do external things. They follow God's law in an external way. They give, they pray, they fast for, uh, for show so that others will see them on the outside and think that they are something uh, great and spiritual. And, and Jesus also tells us in another place in the New Testament that not only did they live for sort of an external show of religion, but they also just lived for this life. In fact, Jesus said they lived for the here and now when he said of them in Luke 11 that they were full of wickedness and greed. And so you look at a citizen of the kingdom, this person that Jesus is saying, don't lay up your treasures here on earth, but start laying up treasures in heaven. It's contrasting the way the Pharisees, these religious leaders, lived. They were preoccupied with the treasures of this world. And can I just say, by the way, this studying this passage was as uncomfortable for me as it probably is for you to, uh, to listen to tonight. You might even go, wait a minute, do I still have my wallet? Is my purse still here? Did the ushers come and take it? That's not what's going to happen tonight. It's sort of this challenge, though. It's, there's a danger for us. In the church, just like before you were a follower of Christ, materialism and living for treasures of this earth can still 
grab a hold of our lives and our hearts. That statement, um, maybe you read this is back in the 90s, that statement, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? There was like a sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Like you're still gone. And sometimes that kind of mentality like the things that we have, the things that we pursue, the things that grip our heart, a lot of times it can actually mess with our spiritual lives. Whether it's the security that we, that we gain from it and we say, oh, I, I know I'm trusting in God, but now I know I'm okay. Or maybe the status that we have because of whatever it is that we you know, purchase and we think like, wow, everybody thinks that I'm something wonderful now because I have these things. And we just accumulate more and more stuff. Again, it's not an indictment on what we own or what we don't possess, but on what we treasure, what we value. There's one man that came to Jesus in Luke's gospel. Chapter 12, he said, uh, Lord, would you please tell my brother to divide the inheritance that my family has to me? And Jesus said in this, and then told a parable about a, a foolish man that basically was building all of his treasures here and ended up losing his life that very day. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, a lot of times we can, when we read passages like this and we kind of study the subject of wealth and money and possessions, we start asking the wrong questions. Is it okay for a Christian to own, and then we fill in the blank? A better question for us to individually wrestle with is, Lord, do you want me to buy this? Lord, do you want me to invest in this? Lord, and, and the questions get answered by, is this going to be a drain on me as a human being? Is this going to pull me away from the things of God? Is this going to be a distraction from the things that God is actually calling me to? We learned last week that the citizens of God's kingdom, they, you know, we talked about prayer that connects to God. And if you weren't with us, you can go to our website and have a listen. But there's that in the middle of the disciples' prayer. It's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learn very quickly that a citizen of God's kingdom, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, our lives are now to be about God's kingdom. And you see how Jesus, through this incredible sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, moves to an area of life you think is not connected, but it's so connected. God, I want your kingdom to be my priority in life. And then Jesus moves to the things that you and I treasure, the things that we value in this life. How do you see your money, your wealth, your income? Do you see it as something that is uh, yours? Like, hey, this is mine. I worked for this. Or do you see it as something that God has blessed you with and is asking you to be a steward of all that God has entrusted you with and given to you? In the, in the story that we've read, or the part of the sermon we read tonight, Jesus talks about two different treasures that we can pursue. He talks about two different perspectives that we can have on our wealth and income, and then also two very different masters that we have. These two treasures. Number one, he talks about investing in heavenly treasure, the choice between two treasures, an earthly treasure or a heavenly treasure. 
Let's be careful, by the way, when we start thinking about like the treasures of this world, you know. You know, it's really easy for us to, um, to have things and to buy things. And then, can, can you just get a, not a show of hands, but just a nod or a wink or something. That you've looked at someone and judged their Christianity based on the elaborate, like, you know, like, well, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they would buy that. Right? Have you ever looked at someone and said, oh, I thought they were like a really good Christian. And they sort of got knocked down a little bit. You know what I mean? You know, we could play that game all day. We can have that conversation all day and say, well, I mean, how many bathrooms can a Christian have in their home? Never enough, right? If you're raising kids. The idea, the idea of like, oh, like, oh, I don't think you should have a three-car garage, you know, because you're a Christian. Or whatever it is. Like, but this church doesn't deal with that. But I, can I just tell you, that kind of judgment happens all throughout Christianity. And you can have that sort of like, well, this is what I'm comfortable with. And that becomes the measuring stick that you judge everybody else with. I have a friend named Waki. He's over in Haiti. He's one of the worship leaders that our first fruits of, of RVC income helps support along with Pastor Maley over there in Haiti and the work that those guys are doing over there. I remember being with Waki and uh, and uh, I went to where Waki lives, and he lived in uh, uh, the front room, a very tiny space, the front room uh, with his wife and two children and an infant uh, newborn baby. And that's where he lived. And we took a walk, and, uh, and he showed me this little plot of land. It had a building on it. And, uh, and this particular house had running water. It had a bathroom, a shower, hot water, and all of that. And, and is, did Waki become less spiritual because he wanted to get running water in their house? I know this is kind of crazy for us, but you can see how he could play the, you know, maybe over there in Haiti, just like going, well, Waki's so worldly. He has running water in his house. A real Christian would be willing to go outside to use the bathroom. So we can to make sure that we don't get into that, that deal. There was, the, um, there was a group of, uh, of the, uh, Mennonites. They were called the Black Bumper Mennonites, do you guys know any black bumper Mennonites? When they would buy a new car that had chrome on it, it was too worldly. So they'd spray paint it. They spent more money covering up money they could have used for God, right? And I'm just kidding. Because they still want to be seen as worldly. So let's make sure that we don't walk into church and go like, wow, that purse looks like a really expensive. You got to stop that. Deal with you. And here's what Jesus says to you and to me. Invest in heavenly treasures. The treasures that we accumulate, the earthly ones, they all have the same fate. He says, moths destroy them. Uh, the gold will get corroded and decay, right? And rust will get to it. And then thieves will steal it. Do you remember getting something stolen from you for the very first time? What, what did it make you feel like? Like just, oh man, I'm so, I remember I was 16 years old. We drove down south to my friend's house, his grandmother's house, and I had $40. I made $3.35 an hour as a bag boy at Gong Supermarket, okay? So $40 took a long time for me to ask my mom for $40 to drive down south with and to earn. And I remember leaving my car out there in Chino and uh, don't trust anybody there in Chino. And uh, I left my windows down and the 40 bucks kind of like folded up in the, like a little tiny area of my dash. We took our bags inside. We said hello to his grandmother. And I go outside and my 40 bucks is gone. I was so mad. I was so frustrated. Maybe you've had that same experience. Something's been taken from you. 
And it's just some of the stuff, by the way, Jesus said, it's not going to last. And by the way, you and I are going to leave it behind. All of it. Job declared that naked I have come into this world, naked I will depart. It's like you will not take any of the stuff that you accumulate in your life with you. Uh, it was uh, Rockefeller, who was one of the wealthiest men uh, in, uh, in recent years or years back. And uh, when he died, someone asked the accountant uh, that was over his estate, hey, how much did he leave? And the, the answer was so brilliant. He left all of it. Every single thing that you have, you cannot take with you when you die and you go to heaven. Money, toys, cars, all of it is left behind. And I think something else that you and I might notice about earthly treasures is that they sort of lose their allure, right? Did just anybody grow up with an Atari? Like you got an Atari? Do you remember playing Frogger? Do you remember ever like playing? You're just like, it's so realistic. This tiny little frog jumping across on logs in a car, you know, and he got squished right there. And it's like going, oh my gosh, this is all I ever needed. Thank you, mom. Like, you look at Xbox 360s, you look at all the different things that are available now. Like, eventually the stuff just sort of wears out. The rich young ruler that came to Jesus, he recognized that. He came to Jesus and said, what more do I need? Because he had an empty place in his life, in his heart. Why isn't what he had enough? He had what everybody wants. He was young, so he had youth. He had riches, and he was a ruler. And he came to Jesus because something was missing. And money, we can learn, was never going to be enough. Want to know why? Because you and I were made for God. So Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures here. Ultimately, Paul talks about this when he writes uh, to Timothy. He says this, tell the people who have wealth in the churches. He said this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly, notice this, gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Let me pause for a second. If God has blessed you with stuff, you drove here tonight, you have a car, you're, you're wealthy already. If you have things that you bought, you've got a golf club, you've got a bat, you've got a boat, you've got maybe a, a, a cabin you know, up in the, in the woods, in the mountains somewhere. As a Christian, you don't go like, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible. Any more than my friend Walkie should go, I feel so terrible. I'm washing my hands in my kitchen. Paul says he's, God has blessed you and I to enjoy it. Don't worship it. Don't trust in it. Enjoy it. And then Paul also said this, and tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Notice what Paul says. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Here Paul talks about the very thing Jesus said. Your treasures here on earth are going to fall apart, are going to be left behind. Start sending some treasures towards the future in heaven. Money. Paul says, use it, enjoy it, don't trust in it, and don't worship it. We're not called to the renunciation of earthly treasures, but rather to start investing or continue to invest in heavenly ones. I hope this evening, if you are a generous person, you give, you tithe, you support missions, that tonight it just reinforces something in you that says, that's what my life ought to be about. 
And if it's not a characteristic of your life, that you would begin to challenge your own heart and your own life to see what Jesus is saying and saying, I want to see all that God has given me and to invest it in something that actually has lasting value where you're going to, even as Paul said, have a treasure as a good foundation for the future, the treasure that you'll have in heaven when you get there. Heavenly treasures, Jesus said, can't be stolen or destroyed. How much energy goes into our minds, by the way, for the things that you and I buy? You think about the stuff you buy and you go, like you get a new car. Isn't that great, that new car smell? And you're just like, okay, guys, let's make a commitment. Let's, let's all go in on this. We're not going to eat in the car, right? And, and then just like go on a road trip. You're like, no, you know what? You pull through in and out. They're like, hey, are you going to eat in the car? You're like, oh, you know, they have these convenient trays, the trays aren't three feet tall, by the way. <laughs> They're like six inches tall. And then that first spill, and you're just like, oh, man. If you've got like a spiritual kid, they're like, dad, it's going to burn anyways. I can't believe you're treasuring the treasures of this world. Or you pull, you know, you go to Target, and you just go like, ah, uh, you drive by, and you're gonna about to park next to a car that looks like they really don't care how they get out of their car or how you get out of your car, and you're like, you park way out there, and then you go out there and someone parks super close to your car, and they scratch you, you're like, oh, I can't believe it happened. We start thinking about stuff. Oh, something's gonna get stolen of mine, so I better like, you know, reinforce it and make sure I have, you know what I mean, like an, enough, uh, enough guns in the house to take care of my stuff, right? That was for Hani, who moved from the Bay Area. <laughs> We're gonna put an NRA sticker on the back of her car just so she feels welcome here in uh, Clovis. How do you store up treasures in heaven? Jesus connects in another parable or another story. He said, heavenly purses and earthly purses. He was talking about money. Is it you're a generous giver? You exchange this currency that you and I have, this, this money that you and I use now, which will be worthless in heaven, and you begin to generously give to God's kingdom and his work, and that's how you actually store up treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't store them up here on earth, but generously give for kingdom work. And we read in, in 1 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. It was Solomon who said in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're leaving a foreign land. You and I are leaving this place one day. One day you will take your last breath on this planet. You will take your very next in God's kingdom. And you will not be able to take any wealth or money from this world with you. It means nothing in heaven. When I was a youth pastor in Laguna Beach, we used to go to Mexico all the time. Uh, it was a close spot for us to go and serve. We had some orphanages that we were a part of. And uh, as soon as we got there, man, we would exchange our dollars for pesos. Uh, did anybody else do this? You want some Mexico trips? Um, not with Ryan uh, to different uh, senior frogs or wherever he brought up to, tonight. But uh, you went there maybe to go serve in some capacity or whatever. You went on a cruise. and You have this pesos with you. And as we're coming across the border, it's just like, Kids are jumping out of the car buying chiclets and buying ponchos and sombreros because it was not going to be usable once we crossed the border. Kind of essentially what is truth about our own money. It means nothing in heaven. And so you exchange it through supporting God's kingdom and doing a work with your money and with your wealth. You tithe. 
You give. You give to your local church. When my kids, uh, you know, started getting jobs, I'd say, dude, you made 10 bucks. Give a dollar for God's kingdom and his work. Because if you don't do it with 10, you'll never do it with 100. If you don't do it with 100, you'll never do it with 1,000 or 10,000. That, that notion that like, oh, when, I, when I'm finally comfortable with my money, it's so crazy. When I was 24 and Tam and I were, you know, just had our first child, and, uh, and you start thinking about the future, which all of us do, and you think about like, oh my gosh, if we ever made that much money, we would be rolling in $100 bills. The problem is, is that those kids kept growing and getting older, and they just, it's like, they're like fire. They just keep consuming, right, all of it. <laughs> they take it all, and, and you just go like, oh my gosh, do you remember when we thought we could just live off of this, and life just continues to go in that direction? What I found is that if you get a hold of sort of that heart, that heart position, God, I want to be a committed cheerful giver to your work, that you will begin to make decisions about your money, that you will always have enough money because you chose to, what Solomon said, to give of your first fruits. You support God's work. Don't fall into that trap. Well, when I'm finally comfortable, then I'll start giving. It won't happen. By the way, giving isn't God's way of raising cash. It's God's way of raising his children and raising citizens of his kingdom, causing us to grow in maturity. And even as he challenges us here in Matthew chapter 6, to begin to think about heavenly things and not just these earthly treasures that we have. Jesus said that our hearts will follow our treasures. When he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Literally, it will follow where your treasure is, what you put your, uh, all, your, all your value, value into. You know, people say things like, man, I, I just want to get a heart for missions. I want to understand missions. You know, the best thing you can do, start giving money to missions, and then your heart will always be stirred when you hear about, you know, uh, the particular area that you are supporting a missionary in. You have a heart for God's word, and you're like, man, I wish other people had God's word. I didn't realize that there are literally thousands of different dialects that don't have God's word in their, uh, a copy of God's word in their language. So you say, I want people to read God's word. So you give to, to a Wycliffe Bible translator missionary who's studying a language, and they're getting the New Testament written so these people can hear the very words of Jesus that you and I have like 400 copies of on our phones and in our closet somewhere. You give to the things that, you, that God is stirring in your heart. You have a, a, a desire to help the poor and those who have needs. So you give to organizations that help, help that. Give like Rescue the Children or the Rescue Mission or, or you know, Samaritan's Purse or Imani Care. You just go, God, I, and then all of a sudden your heart is in that direction. That's what happens, what Jesus said, your heart will follow where your treasure is. God, I want a bigger heart for your kingdom. Man, start giving and investing your, your, your wealth, your money in those particular areas. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, by the way. They're not for God. They're for you. At one day, you will step into heaven, and those treasures, your rewards, will be waiting for you. Here's what Paul said to the church in Philippi. He said, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
Somehow in God's economy, there is an account with your name on it as a follower of Jesus. And your giving towards kingdom work, your sacrifices that you make, those moments you pray for somebody, those moments you share Jesus with somebody, those, those moments you serve with your gifts, and those moments you sacrifice finances for the work of God's kingdom, Paul says, is being credited to your account. He says, it's not that I want more or that I even have any more needs, but I want you, Paul said to them, to have this increase in your, in your credit in that account. There's two treasures you could be chasing. There's two perspectives. This is an interesting uh, uh, like language when, when Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here Paul talks about, or Jesus talks about, two different perspectives. This per- perspective uh, of this, it, it was the, Jesus says, keep an eternal perspective. Do you have a good eye? Did anybody like stink at playing baseball, by the way, when you were a kid? Like, I was so bad, my mom didn't let me play. And, uh, and you're just up there, and like a ball comes by, and you didn't swing, you didn't hit it either, but then someone encourages you and says, hey, good eye, Gordon. That meant you're not good, probably, in baseball. I can't hit the ball. Hey, good eye. Here's an orange slice, right? Here's a juice box. What does Jesus mean by having a good eye? It means this, the way you and I look at life and what you're living for. That perspective, is it an earthly one after earthly treasures? Or is it an eternal one after eternal treasures? A healthy eye means to have a single eye or single focus. And it means to be generous. And it, it means that you and I view wealth correctly and it brings light into our lives. Have you ever noticed that generous people <clears throat> are happy people and they're content people because they actually are generous with their finances? They're happy, they're content, they're cheerf- cheerful givers. They're not clouded with darkness like the person who has a bad eye where their heart is gripped by the desire for wealth <clears throat> and the treasures of this world and, and, and Jesus says, and their mind is infected. In Proverbs 28, verse 22, Solomon said this, He who has an evil and envious eye hurries to be rich and does not know that poverty will come upon him. This perspective, this eternal perspective, it gives light to a person. And if their perspective is all about stuff and accumulating more and they're stingy and their eyes are coveting money and wealth, they'll be full of darkness. They're short-sighted. It means they're living for this life alone. And that's what Jesus said in the parable uh, of the man who said, you know, wow, I've accumulated all these things. I need to store bigger storehouses and get more, you know, space so I can have all these things. And Jesus said, fool, tonight your life will be required of you. They're short-sighted. Have an eternal perspective, Jesus would say. And then he talked about two masters. There's two treasures Lay up for yourself eternal treasures, Jesus said. Invest in eternal treasures. There's two perspectives. Have an eternal perspective. And this last one, no one can serve two masters. For either they will hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Literally, it's mammon. And a lot of people see that as this personification of, of money as a god, if you would, that you worship. So here's this idea of removing every rival God from your life because you cannot serve money and pursue this world and wealth and have that as your treasure and God at the same time. You can have God and you can have wealth, but you can't have both 
as your masters. Jesus said, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. You can't date two girls, by the way, unless you're on The Bachelor. You can date 24 girls. Do you ever have a friend that got busted, like dating, you know, like two, maybe he had like a roller town Cindy, you know, like he went to Clovis and he'd go skating with, you know, a girl named Cindy and they go to Malibu uh, Grand Prix. You guys remember that or where Costco is now? It's, if you remember that, those are really fun days and he's got another. And, and, then, and then Becky decides to have a sleepover and both the girls come over and then they both call you and say, oh, guess what? And then they, you know, you, that's not a, bio, a biography, by the way, on my life, but it is of a friend of mine's life. And he's not here tonight, so, you know, I'm just going to tell you who it is. No, I'm not going to say his name. Some of you guys might guess it, and you're actually probably right. Money's a good servant. It's a terrible master. It's a great tool that can help a lot of people, but it's a horrible idol for you and I to bow down to, because eventually you'll leave it behind. That's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus calls for a decision. Citizens are to be servants of God and not mammon or money. Let me ask you tonight, what's your heart after? You think about this. This is, a, this is challenging, thinking about it. Because in my mind, I read this passage, and I can think of 50 people who are farther ahead financially than me, and I can think about them and go like, oh, gee, I wish they were going to be here tonight. I hope somebody tags them in my you know, Instagram story, like, go and have a listen to it. What I realize is that, actually, this is God speaking directly to me. You think like, God, do we really treasure our treasures here? Well, how do you act and how do you respond when they get pulled away from you? How do you give financially to church, missions, helping the poor? Is it sort of like a, you know, I'm just sort of like trying to, you know, make sure I'm okay when I get to heaven, so I'm going to give this right now, but I'm not happy about it. Have you ever added up what you've given to the Lord and thought about what you could have done with that money? And he's like, yeah. Gosh, that's, I could have done a lot for that money, right? How many refills of Starbucks could you have gotten? Or boats? It's a challenge for us. Do we treasure this world, the temporary things, or the eternal? I love what one author said. It's not so much the disciples' wealth that Jesus is concerned with as his loyalty. As Matthew 6, 24 says, materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty to God. If our life is being wasted in the pursuit of things that don't last, well, then we're on the losing side. Or is our life being spent on eternal things and our time and our talent and our treasures, yes, our finances as well. It was Jim Elliott that had this incredible quote. I don't know if you guys know who he is or ever studied him. He was a young man who was so zealous for the gospel. He went to Ecuador to preach the gospel to these indigenous tribes and he ended up losing his life. They ended up actually killing him and a few of his other missionary buddies because they didn't understand what they were actually trying to do, preach the gospel to them. They were afraid of him, and they killed him. Later on, they all got saved, which is awesome and beautiful. But Jim's life was taken serving God on the mission field. But here's a quote that he said before he died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. You invest your finances, you support missions, you help the poor and the needy with your finances that you work hard for. You cannot keep it anyways. But you send it ahead, you exchange it for a heavenly currency, and you actually are setting aside, laying up, Jesus said, treasures in heaven that you're going to 
as we're leaving behind the treasures that we have on this earth. Every time you sacrifice for kingdom work, every time you pray for his work to further, you share the gospel with someone who's lost, you serve with your time and your gifts for his kingdom, you're storing up treasures in heaven and as you give financially. So what now? This evening, I want you to think about your possessions in light and your money in light of the kingdom. Think about the future money that you're going to earn in light of the kingdom. Those of you that are in college right now, you're like going, I can't even buy a packet of fire red sauce from, from with their free, by the way, Taco Bell. They're like, but one day you're going you're gonna to earn money. And you need to think about that money in light of the kingdom. Is it all about the treasures you're investing here on earth? Or are you investing in treasures that are in heaven? I can't imagine what would happen if the, if the Christian church actually decided that they were going to be all in on tithing. I read a stat somewhere that it would absolutely, that it, could, it could change, it could actually eliminate poverty and people dying of food starvation in the world in a matter of just a few years. That's how much wealth is in the church collectively in the United States. And are we investing in things of the kingdom? Are we just like, oh, it's all about me. Can you think about your money in light of God's kingdom? Can you see yourself as a steward and as Jesus says, invest it wisely? Can I encourage you, enjoy what God has blessed you with, but be generous with what you have now that you would give to further God's work here at RVC and, and missions around the world? that you would give to organizations that tug at your heart, and every time you do, you're storing up treasures in heaven, there. And one day you're gonna leave this earth, and all your stuff, hopefully part of your student loans you'll leave as well. Can I get an amen? <laughs> for those of you that went back to school late. Like going, I'm waiting for the rapture. Wouldn't that be awesome? One day you're going to leave it all. You're going to stand before Jesus. You're going to give account for your life. And your treasures are going to be there waiting for you. By the way, all of us are going to die at some point in our life. Those of you that are followers of Jesus, pursue investing in eternal things. Maybe you're here this evening and you think about that moment of dying and it's just terrifying. What am I going to do? Have I done enough good things? And by the way, giving money to church, giving money to missions, giving money to any organization cannot pay for one of your sins. The only way that you and I have the ability to step into God's kingdom is not based on how much we give or what we do, but by based on a simple fact. Have we trusted in Jesus Christ who gave his entire life for us in order that we might be saved? You and I have those of you that are followers of Jesus, you received the greatest gift you could ever receive when you bowed your heart and you asked Jesus Christ to come be your Savior and your Lord. And that's why you and I will stand before God. It'll be based on his grace, not our own work. But maybe you've joined us this evening. Our team's gonna come. They're gonna lead us in a song. We're gonna give you some direction on what's going on later tonight. But maybe you're here this evening and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Like when you think about that moment, you're gonna step into heaven. You think, man, I don't know when I die if I'm going to spend eternity with God. If you have not committed your life to Jesus, there's not enough good things you can do to cancel out your, your debt of sin that you and I owe to God. A person is saved when they surrender their heart to Jesus, when they recognize that they've sinned and broken his law. 
when they realized that Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, he absorbed all the wrath that your sin and my sin deserved. And you come to that place in your life where you're ready to repent of your sin. What does that mean? It means that you're ready to change direction. You've been living your own life, doing your own thing. And repentance means to actually turn a 180. And you go in the direction of God. And you choose to receive his forgiveness and his mercy and receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And, you know, I don't know where all of us are at this evening, but, man, I don't like to leave a service where we don't give somebody a chance to make that decision tonight. So would you, would you pray with me now as we close out our time together? Father, thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your word. And, Lord, thank you for challenging passages, God. They're certainly challenging for me when I think about just studying them, Lord, and, and God, how you begin to work in my heart and challenge some of the things that I treasure and place such value in things that will rust, things that will corrode, things that I will leave behind. Lord, would you wrestle those things away from my heart, God, as you do for my friends here this evening. And God, that we would be those men and women that would choose to invest wisely in our future as we invest in your kingdom. And Lord, thank you for allowing us that privilege, God. What a privilege it is to give finances to further your work. Lord, would you bless the giving that happens in our church? Would you bless the giving that happens in our community, in the organizations, God, that are doing a great work for your kingdom and around this world? And Father, we also are so grateful tonight that salvation is a free gift. Lord, it's not earned. It's not deserved. None of us could ever do enough good things to gain your love and favor. But we are recipients of your love. For you, Jesus said in your word, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever would believe in you would not perish but they would have eternal life. Whoever in this room, Lord, would choose to believe tonight, your word says that they will not perish, they will not spend eternity separated from you in hell, they will spend eternity with you in heaven. Not because they're good enough, not because they did enough, but because they put their faith in you tonight and surrender their hearts to you. With heads bowed, nice closed, you know, as we wrap up our service this evening, if that's you tonight, if you want Jesus in your life, you want your sins forgiven, you want to begin a relationship with him tonight by faith, man, I want you to, I want to pray with you right where you're sitting. We're going to tell God together. That might just be one of you, but man, God is working in your heart and he loves you so much. Would you just lift your hand up and let's tell God together right where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here tonight, you're ready to surrender your heart to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with God tonight by faith. You lift your hand and let's pray together tonight. Anybody here as we close out this evening, you want Jesus in your life. Well, Lord, thank you, God, that each and every one of us this evening, God, have trusted safely in your hands, God, and is walking with you, Lord. Would you use our lives, God? Would our lives be about your kingdom? We love you, Lord. We praise you. We ask you to bless this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, let's all stand. Let's all stand and let's just seal this time up and close in a time of, of singing. And also I want to encourage you, if you need some prayer this, this evening, there's going to be some friends that are available on each side. Let's close this time in worship.